Today we are diving right into discipleship, to faithfulness, to sacrifice and money, and our relationship with Jesus. You see, often we hear this text, and we think, I think it's difficult for us, or for many people, or for most people, because we think of wealth in relative terms. And what I mean by that is that I bet you if I asked most of you, you probably wouldn't say you were rich. I know I don't really think along this line. I have to work at it to think that, that I'm rich. Actually, I imagine if I talk with some of you, you'd probably say, you know, actually, we're, we're struggling to make ends meet. Things are pretty hard. Things are tight for us. Because we look at wealth in a relative way. That we tend to look at the people around us. And we start thinking, you know, I think Jesus is talking about that, that person with the bigger house than me. I think Jesus is actually talking about that person with a nicer car than me. This morning, I want to turn all of that on its head. I want to speak the truth to us. We are the rich people that Jesus is talking about. And what I mean by this is that, did you know that half of the world, 300, or sorry, 3 billion people, live on less than $4 a day, less than $124 a month, less than $1,488 a year. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's not so bad. I mean, they live in places where things are cheaper. No, this is adjusted. This is called price purchasing parity or purchase power parity that this is adjusted. So they live in their country in the same way that we would try to live in Canada on $4 a day, $124 a month. There is extreme poverty in this world. Our brothers and sisters in Christ Now, this can be sort of hard to understand, so let me take another run at it from a different angle. That in Canada right now, the official poverty line is $21,666. That's that's for an annual income for one person home. $21,000. I suspect most of us make more than this on an annual basis. Did you know that if you were um, officially in poverty in Canada, you would still be richer than 95% of the rest of the world? 95%. If you make $30,000 a year, if your income is around $30,000 a year, which is pretty still not a whole lot in Canada, pretty common, most people make more than that, you'd be richer than 98% of the rest of the world, the richest 2% of the world. You see, I hear this text that Jesus is speaking. I hear him speaking it to us. That this text is not for us to try and pawn off in someone who is richer than us. Jesus is confronting us this morning. All of us. You see, wealth, so often it comes between us and Jesus. Too often, our wealth, our comfort, our possessions, they come between us and Jesus. I mean, we talk about Jesus being number one, and yet we still struggle to set our stuff down to set our wealth down and our comfort and to follow him. You know, this guy that we read about, this is oftentimes the rich young ruler, but in Mark it's just a guy who doesn't, we don't hear his age. He comes to Jesus and he has everything. He gets it. He comes to Jesus as Jesus is walking on his way to the cross. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, towards sacrifice, suffering, and death 
for, his, for God's people, for His people. And this guy comes running to Jesus. He comes running up to Him. Now we know that, or maybe you remember from sermons in the past, that in this, in this time, in this era, rich people didn't run. It wasn't dignified. Wealthy people, powerful people, walked with dignity and grace. And here this guy comes running up to Jesus and he kneels right in front of Him. This guy gets it. As we read through Mark's Gospel, so many people are confused about who Jesus is. Maybe he's Satan. Or maybe he's just a great teacher. Maybe he's one of the prophets. This guy gets it. He comes up to him. He kneels in front of Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He wants this kingdom. He wants to be a part of this new kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. And Jesus talks to him first. He says, Why do you call me good? There's, only, there's no one who's good except for God alone. And that's, that's some different things that Jesus is on about there. But the next thing he says is, follow the law. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't cheat people. Don't bear false witness. Don't rip people off. Honor your mother and father. And you can almost hear the excitement in this man's voice when he says, I've done all this since I was a kid. Jesus, I've been doing this already. You can almost hear his excitement. An interesting thing too is that Jesus looks at him and loves him. So not only does this guy follow the law, but in this way, Jesus loves him. Do you know this is the only place, or one of the only places where it says Jesus loves somebody, this word agapo or agape, that he loved them like God loves his children. He loved this man. This guy was a spiritual all-star. I mean, he followed the law. He finally got who Jesus was. He wanted to be a part of this kingdom. Jesus loved him. He had everything going for him. He had it all. And then in Jesus' ironic way, in His clever way, Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. What? Still one thing you lack. There's still one thing that you lack. I can see Jesus' wry smile on his face as he says this. To this guy who has it all, he says, there's one thing that you lack. He says, go. Sell everything that you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. This man is stunned. Absolutely shell-shocked. Dejected. His face falls and his heart breaks. And he walks away grieving because he has many things. He has many things. He chose this stuff over Jesus. This all-star rejects Jesus. The guy who was going to be probably take Peter's place as the best disciple, the brightest disciple, the most faithful disciple, he rejects Jesus. He had everything. Faithfulness. He had Jesus' love. He, had, he finally understood who Jesus was. And he rejected him. He left him for his stuff. This is the only place in the Gospels where someone leaves Jesus. When Jesus calls them, says, follow me, and they refuse to. This is the only place where this happens. This is a big deal. 
Every other time Jesus says, come, follow me, people followed him. But this guy doesn't. Too often we let our wealth, our comfort, we let our possessions get between us and God. We let these things distract us from God. That's why Jesus says it is hard. It is hard for people with a lot of things to get into the the kingdom of God. That's literally what it says in the Greek. It says it is hard for people with things to get in the kingdom of God. The more stuff we have, the harder it is. Because the more we have, the more it costs us to set it down and follow Him. And when I hear this, the first thing I think of are the people, the non-Christians around us. Maybe some of you are breathing a sigh of relief. Let's focus on somebody else for a minute. I think about our neighbors, our friends who who we talk with them about Jesus. We talk with them about the way that He's changed our lives and it's so easy for them to say thanks, but no thanks. I, I don't really need anything else. We live in a society, a rich society. I mean, I know relative, you know, with, among us, you know, there are people who have more money than not, whatever, but we live in a rich society where people have homes. We live in a rich community where people can buy the things that they need, at least for the most part. You know, we live in a place where people have a place to live. They don't worry about where they're sleeping tomorrow. So they don't need God for the help with that. Or they have stuff. They have nice things. They have some nice things that go with their the hobbies, things that they love to do, things they'd rather be doing on Sunday morning than being here praising God. Or they have things. They have this ability to pay their bills. They don't need help with that. Or they don't really need friends. They can have some social acquaintances, people they get along with, but they don't need people. If they really need something done at their house, they don't have to rely on their neighbor. They can just hire a contractor to come do it. Or if things get really, really bad, they can take a vacation, go to a beach and unwind, take a couple weeks away. It's interesting. This reminds me of the parable of the four soils that Jesus talked about. He said he'll throw seeds out and some will land among the thistles and the seed will be choked out and it won't produce fruit because people are preoccupied with the worries of this world. They're deceived by wealth. They're caught up in desiring more and more stuff. So I see in the ways that this resembles the people who live around us. They, they don't get God. They don't know why they even need Him because they have so much already. But it's interesting, as I was reading this and reflecting on it again and reading through it again and again, is that the disciples were stunned. They were absolutely shell-shocked at what Jesus said. Do you notice that? As Jesus is telling them, it is hard to get in the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for the people with a lot of stuff to get in the kingdom of heaven. They aren't saying, Amen, Jesus, preach it. Tell those unbelievers, tell them what it's all about. No. They were shell-shocked. They were stunned, absolutely speechless. And as I was praying about and reflecting on this passage, as I was working through it this week, as I've been working through it for years now in my life, I realized that we are supposed to be stunned by this. We are supposed to be speechless. But Jesus is talking to us. He 
He's calling us to this radical faithfulness. He's calling us to this generosity. He's calling us to be obedient. He's calling us to put everything else, put everything else below Him, that He would be first in our life. That's why Jesus says it's so hard. It's hard for the wealthy, the people with a lot of stuff, to get into the kingdom of heaven. These disciples are stunned, and he says, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for people with a bunch of stuff or for wealthy people to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've heard some people, maybe you've heard these too, that some people have thought, well, I have a needle, and actually camel is very similar to this other Greek word for rope, really thick rope, and that, you know, that maybe Jesus meant rope rather than camel, and that's not it. I mean, even thick rope doesn't go through needles. That misses the point. Or say some people have heard this idea, this theory that the eye of the needle is actually a man-sized gate in the, into the city of Jerusalem. And that camels could somehow crawl through if they were humble enough and got rid of all the stuff. You know, archaeologists have never found this gate. They've never heard it referenced. It was a theory by somebody in the 1800s. I think the simple truth of this message, the simple truth of this message is that it is hard for people like us with a bunch of stuff to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is hard. It's hard. We see it with our friends who don't follow Christ, how hard it is they, they would rather walk away. They don't think they need Him. We see it in our own life, how hard it is to keep setting down the stuff that would get between us and Christ. See, I hear Jesus speaking to us this morning. I hear Him challenging us with these words. I mean, it's true, this passage is about one man and his, react, his interaction with Jesus. But he also turns to the disciples. And I believe when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he's speaking to all of his disciples, all of us, throughout time. See, I believe that he talked with this man particularly. That his call for this man to sell everything was particular to this man. And let me explain this. I believe that Jesus saw him. Saw into him. The Greek word is emblepo here. It's a bit different than just seeing. It's more like he finally saw into him. He saw what was going on in this guy, what was going on in his heart. He saw that his possessions were the most important thing in his life. And that rather than this blessing to him, they had become a cage for him. That his possessions were bars around him. It reminds me of this famous quote by Sir Francis Bacon. He said, If money will not be our slave, then it will be our master. Or said differently, for a covetous person, for a person who always wants more and more. Pretty soon, it's not so much that we possess things, it's that our things possess us. Jesus sees this man. He sees the bars around his heart, that his possessions have become a cage. And Jesus, if you remember, he has come to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free. I hear him calling this man out of his cage. Come, be free. Have this new life. Set down all this stuff that distracts you, that keeps you from life. Set it all down. Walk out of your cage and follow me. I believe that Jesus sees into this man. He sees the idol in his life. And he loves him. Do you remember that? that it said that Jesus loves him and he called him out. He called him out of this cage. Come follow me. 
Now I say that this is a particular call to this man, and I believe it's true. Because as I read through all of Scripture, Jesus calls people to different things. Different disciples were called to different levels of commitment to him, or, or the same level of commitment, but that worked out differently in their lives. If you remember, Peter was called by Jesus. He set down his nets and everything. But then a few verses later, they all meet at his house for supper. Jesus called Levi, the tax collector. Come follow me. Levi follows him. Then a little bit later, they meet at his house, at Levi's house, for a banquet with many other tax collectors, a lot of other of his well-to-do tax collector friends. Levi keeps his house. Or I think about Zacchaeus. We remember him from Luke's Gospel. Jesus called Zacchaeus, come down from the tree and follow me. And and Zacchaeus gave away half, just half of what he had. And then later they went to his house where they had dinner. Jesus calls all of us to different things. He calls all of us to the same commitment, but that works out differently for us. Sometimes it is that we get to keep our home and our job and the place where we live. Sometimes it means that we have to give all all that away. We have to sell everything and follow Jesus to some far off place. It depends on what God is calling us to. But there is a general message here. In this text, there is a general message for all of us. That Jesus desires everything. He's after our whole life. He's not after a small part. He's not happy with, please, you know, maybe you can just give me a few hours a week, a few bucks a month. He's after our heart, our whole heart, our entire self. He's after all of us. And he's desiring, he's calling us to a radical generosity. And I'm, I'm putting this word to, these words together, radical generosity on purpose. It's a generosity that testifies to the gospel. That we are generous in a way that testifies to the gospel. And what I mean by that is that in our culture, whether we like it or not, money talks. That we are so generous with what God has given us that people begin to ask us questions. What are you doing? Why would you ever do that? And we begin to talk with them. We get to share with them about what God has done in our lives, what Jesus, how he has changed us. This radical generosity that testifies to the gospel. I think he's also calling us to a radical generosity that makes sacrifices. A generosity that sacrifices, that we set down what we have so that we can be more generous. That maybe we go without some things that we're generous to the point that it starts to mean that there's things that we don't have because we we want to be generous with others. Now, I don't think that Jesus is calling us into poverty, at least not all of us. I believe some there are. But he is calling us to more equity. He's calling us to help to bring more equality. Because God has given us great wealth, we have great responsibility. I believe Jesus is calling us to a radical generosity. One that calls us to be part of the solution. Refusing to be a part of the problem and committed to being part of the solution. I think about Caitlin's wish today. We were watching this and I was, I was praising God how well that fits or how that dovetails into what, what the scripture is this morning. That we don't have to do everything. Like We don't have to fix everything, but we have to do something to be a part of the solution, to be a part of what, say, the covenant is doing in the Congo, part of what compassion is doing throughout, throughout Africa. We're called into this 
We're called because we have a responsibility, if not, if not to the rest of the world and people just for the sake of their humanity, we are called into this for our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, it's hard for us. I don't know if we realize, but there are more covenanters in the Congo than there are in North America. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who barely make it through the day. Maybe get one meal a day. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that we have responsibility to. I believe Jesus is calling us to this radical generosity. See, this message is for us this morning. We can't pawn this off on someone else. This is for us. It's for our neighbors and our friends who who don't believe yet. But it's also for us. It's it's true, it talks with this man who begins with this who this person who comes to Jesus looking asking about the kingdom of God. But there's a general message for us here to radical generosity. That Jesus would be number one in our lives. That we would devote everything to him. But I have good news for you. I know this is tough to hear. It's tough for me to hear. But I have good news for you. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. With God, it is possible for people with a lot of stuff to enter the kingdom of heaven. With, with, with our, in, our human, in our own human strength, it is impossible. By, human, by humanity alone, camels do not go through eyes of needles. But with God, it's possible. See, the thing is, let me explain that as people, this doesn't work. Up to us, this will go badly. Maybe we'd just walk away. If it was just up to us, we'd just walk away. Say, thanks, but no thanks. The cost is too high. Or maybe, and I think some Christians fit into this category too, that they know that Jesus is the way, and so they try really hard at this. They're going to work really hard at this. They see this challenge that Jesus has put, this comp- that Jesus has confronted us with this. And they see, well, okay, we need to be more, more generous. And they start to think of this in, a, in an economic, like think of this as an economic question rather than a relational question. And they start to ask, okay, Jesus, what's the, what's the minimum I need to give away to be okay with you? What's the minimum I have to do so that we can be okay? Or how much can I keep how much of this stuff can I keep for me? Just, let's just get down to the bare minimum. What's the minimum that I have to do? Or maybe they're stronger than this and they have some more self-discipline. I know that there are some of you in our church who have a great amount of self-discipline. But sometimes that can get us in, the wrong, that can get us in trouble too because you know, we can just knuckle under. We can get tougher about this. We can do better and give more. And we might be really successful at it. The trouble is we become self-righteous in it. We can become self-righteous thinking, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty generous. I don't know why so-and-so can't get it together. I mean, look at all the stuff they have. Why can't they figure it out? And we become self-righteous. Or maybe we go the other direction and we become resentful. We say, God, I've been faithful to you. I give, you, I give to you and I give to you. I'm generous with others. And now that I need you, where are you? Why aren't you coming through for me? Why isn't life working out for me? It begins to, to tend towards resentment. Resentment and self-righteousness, both of these are sinful, and I would say just as sinful as being greedy. Just as sinful as not being generous with others. When we try to do this on our own, it's going to go the wrong way. It's going to go, it's going to go badly. But if we will do this with God, 
With God, this is possible. With God, all of this changes. If you hear anything this morning, if you've been checked out for a moment, check back in. If you hear anything this morning, listen to this. With God, this is possible. With God in our lives, this becomes possible. Because He changes who we are. You know, we start to wonder, okay, this is complicated. God, what do we do with our wealth, with all the stuff that we have? And if you really want to know this, you can read books and maybe you can get suggestions from people, but I believe that if you really want to know this, the right answer for this, you have to ask Jesus. You have to be in a relationship with Him that you can ask Him this. God, what would you have me do with this stuff? This ama- these amazing things that you have blessed me with, what would you have me do with them? It's in drawing close to Jesus that we start to know how to respond. I have this belief that if we are in a right relationship with Jesus, that all the other things will start to work out. If we are in a right relationship, a genuine relationship, where we are growing closer to Christ, we will be radically generous. And we won't feel obligated to it. We will do it because we love Him. We'll do it because He's made our lives so amazing. And we'll do it with joy. We'll stop asking, how much do I have to give? We'll start asking, God, how can I live on less so that I can be generous with more? And we'd love to do it. We'll start asking, how much, do, how much can I keep, God? And we'll start asking, how much do I need? Because, Jesus, you have filled me, and I don't really know that I need that much anymore. Like, I don't know that I need this stuff to fill the holes that I have, because, Jesus, you are. See, this is what I mean. Fundamentally, this is not an economic question. This is a relational question. That if we are in the right relationship with God, these things work out. We will be more generous. We will be just as generous as God desires us to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying this challenges us. I hope, I pray that this challenges us. But if we go and just try to be more generous, that might work for a while. But I think Christ is calling us into a relationship with Him that it would change who we are. And then if we find ourselves struggling to be generous, if we find ourselves struggling, that we regret or we resent giving more, that maybe it's not so much that we just need to buck up and do it, that we need to actually talk with Jesus. We need to spend more time with Him, draw closer to God, that our heart would be different. Because Jesus is not after our money. He doesn't need our money. He's after us. He desires our heart. See, this is amazing news. With people, this is difficult. But with God, with, with, in a relationship with God, this becomes possible. It changes everything. Our hearts become different. And if that wasn't enough, if this new life with Christ was not enough, He, he promises even more. He promises a reward in this life and in the life to come, the age to come. He says, if whoever leaves these things, there is no one who leaves their home and their, their brothers and their sisters, their mother and their father and their children and their fields, will not re- who will not receive a hundred times more in this life. A hundred times more homes and, and, and siblings and parents and children and fields. They will receive a hundred times more. He's saying, devote yourself Devote yourself to me over your house, over your brothers and sisters, over your parents, over your children and your fields. 
I was thinking about this and I was thinking of, of Dave and Mary Beth Ringheim. Last week, Dave gave his testimony. This is a story of what I think Jesus is talking about. Like, Dave came to faith. He and Mary Beth, they met in Bible college. And they left Canada. They left their family. And they moved to Tanzania as missionaries. I mean, they, they didn't have a lot, but even still there, they were like filthy rich, Dave said. They had this beautiful home, like lived in ways that like, most people there didn't. God still provided for them. They, they were faithful to the work that God had called them to. And then they came back here. And now they have a home. They still have their brothers and sisters, but they have us as well. This family here, you brothers and sisters. They still have mothers. They still have children. I mean, they have children now that they didn't have in Tanzania, but I also think, and it reminds me of, Rick, what you said when you prayed for Erica this morning, that we have spiritual children. Children that we have poured into as a church. That we have prayed for like our own children. That we have cared for and encouraged in the gospel like our own kids. See, I think Jesus promises that we will have these things. That we will have a home where we belong. Maybe it's not a structure. Maybe it's not a fancy house. But it's a home where we belong. A church where we who believe in Christ, we belong here. That we have this larger family. You'll have it in this life and you'll have it in the age to come. But Jesus also mentions, when he says that you will have these things a hundredfold, he also mentions persecutions. That there is more persecution in following Jesus. It's going to cost us more to follow him. This is amazing that God promises all these things to us. But you know what's the most amazing to me? The most amazing to me is that he promises a relationship with him. A relationship with the living God. As good as stuff is, as as fun as it can be, he promises a relationship with him. That we would be reconciled with God. That that gap between us that fills up with all the stuff that we do to each other, all the things that we say and do that hurt each other, the things that we do that we reject God, that we go our own direction, that we refuse to follow Him, all that stuff is wiped away by Christ. And we become in a good relationship. We enter a, a reconciled relationship with God. If that wasn't enough, we realize that we have a home. We have a home here where we belong. Jesus talked about, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In a relationship with God, we have a place. A place where we belong. In a world where so often we are isolated and cast out, where people are left off, marginalized, here we belong. And in this relationship, it is a relationship of love. Sometimes I don't know if we get how important love is. I know we talk about it. You know, the Bible's filled with it. It's interesting, as I talk with people, now as a pastor for a while, and if people come to me with issues in their life, I'm realizing more and more that fundamentally this is about, the, about receiving love from God. That their issues, the things that they're struggling with, would be so different if they began to understand more the love of God. If they began to accept more the love of God. I see it in my own life. I see it in, in all of us how essential love is. That if we would just believe it, if we begin to realize and accept how much God loves us, life would be different. See, this is the thing, I think probably one of the most surprising things about this passage is that this guy had it. 
He had Jesus' love and he rejected it. He rejected it for stuff. He gave up things that he would never lose for the things that he was sure to lose when he died. I can't believe that he walked away from this. Jesus has promised this amazing life for us. Not only salvation, but life now. A relationship with him. This morning, I hope that we hear this text and we are challenged. I've been praying for us that we would be challenged by this. That we would not try and put this off as this means somebody else who has more than me. That we are the rich people. I pray that we would begin to come under, to bear the weight of the cost of being a disciple of God, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That it costs us everything. The willingness to follow Him, the willingness to hand everything over to Him, and the willingness to go when He calls us. On our own, in human, and on our own human strength, this will never work. We'll end up in the wrong place. But with God, this becomes possible. In a relationship with the living God, this becomes possible. Our hearts will be changed. We will become radically generous. We'll become radical in our generosity. We'll give in ways that testify the gospel. We'll give in ways that, that surprise people and do amazing things for the kingdom of God. This is what I pray for us. That all the vain things that charmed us most, that we would sacrifice them through his blood. I pray that we are challenged this morning. And I pray that we'll turn to Christ. Amen.